welcome to Folk Roots Radio. I'm Jan Hall. All the best in Folk Roots Americana, singer-songwriters and blues, and artist interviews. On Folk Roots Radio, we're all about the music and the people that make it. And coming up, we're pleased to bring you another very special episode. Yukon-based Folk Roots singer-songwriter Gordy Tentries joins us to chat about the life, music, and influence of Ailey Sparks. A Manitoba-born singer-songwriter who rocked up to the Yukon himself in 2001, the truck full of guitars and barely a penny to his name. So settle down and enjoy Gordy Tentries in Conversation, a tribute to Ailey Sparks on Folk Roots Radio. And I got good friends Living life on a wing and a prayer There's 
some ups and downs can't always comprehend. Living life on a wing and a prayer. Living life on a wing and a prayer. You know, Ben, but I just don't care. Dog insists on why you're living too fast. How do you expect to make your life last? Living life on a wing and a prayer. Living life on a wing and a prayer. That's an artist who is very new to our radar, Ailey Sparks, with Wing in a Prayer from his fabulous 2003 album, Beautiful and Deranged, which was nominated for Blues Album of the Year at the 2004 Western Canadian Music Awards. The classic Canadian troubadour Ailey Sparks found his way to the Yukon in 2001 with a truck full of guitars and just $5 to his name. And that's where he recorded the beautiful and deranged album and rapidly became a favourite on the live music scene, sharing the stage with many fine players, including Gordy Tentries, who regards him as a huge influence on his own career. Sadly, Ailey Sparks passed away from cancer in 2005, just shy of his 39th birthday. However, his music lives on. Beautiful and Deranged has just been re-released on Bandcamp, with 100% of the proceeds going to Ailey's children. To learn more about the music of Ailey Sparks, we're pleased to welcome Gordy Tentries back to Folk Roots Radio. It's great to have you join us today. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure. You know, I've got to say, when you reached out to let us know that this album was being re-released, you know, it was like, well, I felt like I should have known something about Ailey Sparks, and yet he seems to be an artist that, you know, for a lot of us has probably flown under the radar, and yet I gather, you know, in the Yukon, I mean, he really, I don't know, it seemed like his career was really taking off for, you know, what, I think it was just like four years he was there before he sadly passed, but uh, he, he really became part of the community, didn't he? Uh, absolutely. He just kind of blew into our town and stole all our hearts and played music with every person that held an instrument. And then uh, made his first record, and uh, with the help of Caribou Records, that was run by Bob Hamilton and David Pekovich here. And um, he was just about to put it out, get himself uh, uh, heard outside of the Yukon, and uh, there were a lot of high hopes for that record. That kind of happened, started to happen at a time when all of a sudden the whole world went digital, in a sense. He missed all of the social media digital world craziness that's happened uh, and so uh, he, didn't get, he didn't get to have the experience that some of us have had since, which may, have, may be a good thing. But um, I, uh, I'm uh, really pleased to be a part of this and rally a bunch of people to re-release this record. Well, I'm so pleased that you have done so, because I've got to say, I absolutely love it. And as I said at the start, you know, you suddenly realize it's like, wow, this is somebody who I didn't know anything about. And yet I fast become a fan of his music. So... Over the, the next hour, I'm really looking forward to digging into that. We started off with Wing and a Prayer, which is a fabulous song from the Beautiful and Deranged album. I love it because I love the, the background vocals on there, that people singing along with him. I get the sense that was a lot about how he lived his life, wasn't it? You know, that he was, you know, he was that classic, you know, Canadian troubadour. Manitoban by birth, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, he grew up in Steinbeck, Manitoba, and uh, as a teenager, 
in the Mennonite community there, and then um, in his late teens, you know, he found the found the devil and the the devil the sound of the devil, and ended up leaving that town and going to, a lot to uh, Big Dave McLean's Goose Jam at the infamous Windsor Hotel in Winnipeg. Made his way in there and played guitar with Big Dave, or got on the Big Dave stage, and became really really attracted to performing through Big Dave. And then he made his way west to the Kootenays and played in many bands in the Kootenay Nelson. Fernie area for a number of years and then eventually sort of either ran out of space there or places to land and ended up deciding to come to the Yukon on the advice of a drummer friend of his, Lonnie Powell, who's a well-known northern musician here. And I came into town literally with uh, eight, eight guitars, a little truck next to nothing. And uh, he played seven days a week. He played Wednesday to Saturday in Whitehorse and then he would play drive up to Dawson City, which is six hours on a Sunday, and he'd play at uh, Bombay Peggy's on a Sunday night, and then he'd play at the infamous Westminster Hotel on a Tuesday and Wednesday, and then turn around and drive back to Whitehorse, and he just did this constantly, you know, sometimes sleeping in the back of his truck, sometimes sleeping wherever he could, and um, that's how he lived, and he was all about playing, just all about playing as much as you could, and the traditional sort of gigging, uh, musician where he would just play, you know, for a hundred bucks, one hundred and fifty bucks a night, anywhere he could, and uh, fill his dates as fast as he could. And he was a really fine player. I mean, you know, we're gonna play. Actually, I want to play it. We're gonna play a couple of tracks back to back in a few seconds. But one of the things that really comes through was, you know, what a fine technical guitar player he was. Astounding. He was a, a real uh, studious um, student of everyone from Dwayne Allman to Ry Cooter, and he was really into tone. Tone was his, his, the main conversation he had was about tone all the time when we get into long conversations about music. And so he was really schooled in that, but he was also very interested in going into world beat music and world sounds and, you know, everything from ska to gypsy kind of sounds. He was all about that and thinking outside the box and uh, just seeing where music would take him. You know, there was no boundaries for him. It was amazing. So he really was just one with the instrument. And it's interesting because I think, you know, one of his influence people have suggested was Robert Johnson, which, you know, brings that whole crossroads type <laughs> story, which, you know, the, the idea of suddenly arriving in the Yukon, which I gather a lot of people do. I know yourself, you're originally from, I think, the Peterborough area in Mm -hmm. Ontario, and now yeah. Yukon has very much become your home. We'll dig a little bit more into that in a few seconds, but I do want to get back to the music. We're going to play Living My Life, which is another song that's fairly autobiographical for him. Tell us a little bit about this one. Well, all of these songs, the, the ironic part about the record was he made this, wrote these songs and then made this 14-track record, and then shortly after uh, passed away. And when you listen to a lot of these songs, you realize that uh, these it's sort of these subliminal messages that are in all these songs, very descriptive of who he was. And it was like he saw the future. And I remember him finding out that he was going to pass away from cancer and being very at, at peace with it. Very like, okay, that's what's happening. And this is how it's going to go down. And he had seen his mother and his brother go through the same thing. So he was very aware of how much time he had and just to enjoy it and keep playing. That's uh, that's the ironic part. This song is a, a lot about that. Just literally getting by day by day, 
and having faith that the universe will help him, whether you know he would uh, have a vehicle breakdown or all of a sudden need a place to live again. He was very, very much winging it, just winging everything. And he had just had, I think, a lot of really good karma and love for people and music and that uh, everybody would just pull him through, you know, and, and uh, he'd give it back to them. It was great. Ailey Sparks with Living My Life on Folk Roots Radio.
Hi there, this is Ellen Fraze, and you're listening to Folk Roots Radio with Jan Hall.
That's Ailey Sparks with Joanna's Reel, an absolutely fabulous instrumental. It's from his 2003 album, Beautiful and Deranged. Gordy Tentries is our special guest on Folk Roots Radio today. We're chatting about the music of Ailey Sparks, who, as far as I can gather, only made the one full-length album, Beautiful Deranged, in 2003 with Bob Hamilton in the Yukon. And Gordy Joanna's Reel is just an incredible instrumental. I, I listen to it and I think, wow, that should be up there with the work of Peter Green, uh, you know, who sadly passed away recently. Uh, it's just an absolutely fabulous piece of music. There's a couple of them on there. That's a, real, that's a really standout track for sure. And that's inspired by a local woman that used to come and dance at his shows all the time. Uh, religiously, she would come and dance. He would attract all these characters a lot of Yukon characters were attracted to the fact that he was a real and genuine Yukon character. And he'd think of these people, and uh, uh, Joanna, for example, who's still uh, alive and kicking here in the Yukon, and he would write these songs. And he'd say, you know, Joanna, I've got one for you, and get up on the stage and play this tune, which was, uh, she was really smitten, and it was a wonderful gesture. But that's just who he was. He, he included everybody so that when you went to his show, you're, everybody was in for all kinds of different reasons, but for the experience mainly, and definitely this instrument, one of them, it just never ends. And the cool part about it is the recorded version is quite beautiful. Go and see him play it live, and you never knew what version you were going to get that night, which was the best part of uh, Ailey Sparks. Which, which is actually kind of neat. It's kind of the, that one of the, the things about these enigmatic people you know, the, the, you're never quite sure exactly what you're going to get. But I I guess that's the reason that people used to queue around the block to get in and hear him play. I mean, even though he played so much, there was always a huge audience for him. Absolutely. And if you weren't there, there was one period of a, a long, well over a year where if you didn't go, if you didn't try to go see him at eight o'clock when the doors open at, or when the show started at 930 and he'd play four sets a night, those kind of things, those days of doing that. But if you were there by 8 o'clock and didn't have your seat, you, you often weren't going to get to see him, which is kind of unheard of in a small, uh, small town, Whitehorse, you know. Well, since I was introduced to Beautiful and Deranged, you know, I've actually been doing my best to try and find as much music by Ailey Sparks as I can. It seems that Beautiful and Deranged was the only full-length album that he actually produced. Is that right? It was. And the other thing to note was, you know, he definitely was living by the skin of his teeth. And when he made this record, he basically said, I have got X amount of dollars, which wasn't a lot to Bob, the producer. The band's been playing with me. We've done, you know, 250 shows. I think we could do most of this record live off the floor. So when he went in the studio, there's three musicians, uh, Paul Stevens on the bass and Mark Parody. Paul Stevens is actually playing a fretless bass. And Mark Parody is a wonderful percussionist, and they added Jay Burr, who plays uh, trombone and a, Roger, a, a Wurlitzer player and a piano player to it. But that was it. The rest of the thing, the whole thing was entirely off the floor because of budget restraints in a way, but also that's what he did really well. And so basically what you're hearing is him captured very live, and that's kind of one of the, the reasons the record kind of gets you is because you are, you're getting a show. It's uh, happening live, and that's been recorded, and you get that effect from it. But I, I know Bob Hamilton is a great producer, and, you know, one of the things that really comes through is that, I mean, it was a great trio, you know, when I'm actually listening to the tracks. I mean, it's, a, you know, and you, yeah. you, you really, you know, it really has a, I, I was 
listening to it today and I thought, wow, what a great power trio that's developing there. And, you know, he was so adept. I mean, we just listened to, you know, some great, you know, slide guitar work from him. But, I mean, he was just really talented, wasn't he? Very, very. And uh, another thing to note was that he was such a small man that he would cut all the guitars in half, all the solid body guitars. He would cut the bottom half of the guitar off so it would be less weight. It would balance with the top half. Put a different size neck on a, a small body guitar so that he'd have lots of fretboard to use with his hands and play slide with, but also to balance this very interesting guitar. And if I tried to pick it up, it would be very top-heavy for me and strange, but for him, because of his body type, a very slim, uh, petite man, suited him perfectly. Interesting, and every guitar would be in a different open tuning because he played so much slide. You know, I've I got to say, I was completely blown away. Now, I think he also, he did play on a couple of your albums, but I think there are tracks featuring him on 29 Loads of Freight from 2005 and the Bottle to Neck Wire album from 2008, <clears throat> right? For sure. Actually, he played on one song on my first record, and I was just starting out, and I'd written this song about Dawson City where he had spent most of his time. We loved playing it together, and so he said, let me play on that song when he go into the studio. He had stopped playing with me live because his own thing started uh, taking off. And he played with me for about three years. I played my first show with him in 2002 at a music store for uh, a $2 cover. It was a one-hour concert. And um, he was way ahead of me as far as being a musician. He knew what he was doing the whole time. Best part about him was uh, if you were a true friend, you would take his advice, which would sometimes be very straight. And he would tell me, for example, Gordy, I need you to start the same time that I start playing this song and end at the same time. And uh, if we can do that together, then we'll get to do this together. And it was very nice of telling me that I had to get my chops up to snuff. I don't know what I was doing. But if I wanted to, I had to listen to him and uh, stop talking and just use my ears. If you got through that, which I did, then you were friends for life. And it's interesting because I, I hear a lot of you in his music, and I guess that's part of the influence that he had on you. I think that that's true to a sense where he he didn't let himself be put into a box. So he wasn't just a blues slide guitar player. He loved country music, he loved old folk music, he loved gypsy, ska, reggae, punk, rock and roll. There was no limit to what he would delve into, so he would go into any of those genres and spend lots of time, and if you hear the record, you can see bits and tastes of that. But if it's made for, you know, when you play a concert in a bar, how do you, you know, without talking, how do you get people to stay engaged like he did? Well, you just play all kinds of different music and blow them away. And so for me, it was interesting when I first started making records, I'm like, well, there's no rules because he didn't have any rules and he was one of my early influences. Right. So that's how kind of how it goes. Yeah, it certainly comes through. And I, you know, when I hear you talk about playing with Ailey and then I think about you playing with Jackson Haldane, you know, the way that you you built a wonderful duo together. It, it really Well, those comes things through. like, you know, Ailey had his influences, right? He had those people, whether it was Big Dave McLean or Ry Cooter, that he looked up to. And, you know, I think about the fact that Ailey learned all, you know, how to play slide guitar, learned all these things from either seeing it live in person or by listening to records, which, you know, now if I want to learn how to play like Ry Cooter, I can go watch him for 10,000 hours on YouTube. Ailey didn't have that. He listened to actual records, which is what <laughs> a skill that uh, many of us <laughs> need to do more often, you know, where I actually pick up the vinyl record 
you got to get up and turn it over again and again to hear that one guitar part and try and do it. So he's, he came from that school, you know. It's kind of interesting when he left us that he put out a record where literally he's hoping he would get into a festival and salmon arm. What he didn't know was that he was well ahead of uh, a lot of people that were playing his doing what he was doing, and he was going to get into those festivals in salmon arm. He just didn't see it yet and see it coming. He was uh, he left too soon. And I think there was one song on your bottleneck to wire album, "Make Me Spin." I think that song he actually played on, even mm. though unfortunately at the time he was really struggling. I mean, his cancer was progressing and. Uh, was making it hard to do much, but what he did want to do is play, and when he heard that you were going to record that, uh, he wanted to be there, right? Well, he wanted to play until he couldn't play anymore, and that was one of the examples of it, but also, at the very end, he had moved out to the con- outside of uh, Whitehorse to a small cabin in the woods to sort of uh, enjoy his last days. And um, I would say to him, you know, what do you want to do? And one of his, well, what he wanted to do was play music. That's the, that's what this person, you know, it was very clear he wanted to play music. In fact, the coolest part about him was that when he wasn't playing on a stage, he was always playing off the stage. So if you go visit him at noon, you would see him, you'd you'd hear him when you approached his house playing his guitar. And he'd say, you know, you walk in and he'd say, oh, you know, let's pick a tune. And then you would leave a couple hours later and someone else would come. And he'd do the same thing, and then he'd play until after supper, and then he would go and do his show. And then he'd play after the show. So he was constantly playing, which was a beautiful thing. So when he was about to die, he was uh, pretty clear in saying, I want to play as much as I can. So I booked this local uh, weekly show that we would do. And uh, at some points, I would have to drive to his cabin and load up his guitars because he couldn't pick them up. He was pretty weak. And we would drive him into town, which was about a 40-minute round trip and uh, set him up in a chair and he'd bring a cushion from from uh, his favorite cushion from home from one of the couches and he would put it behind this uh, chair and we had to tie the cushion to it at some points because uh, just because of the physical pain that he was going under and uh, he would sit there and people would come in and thank him for whatever uh, how they affected him and he would just play and play. He's like, just put me on the stage. I'm going to play. And then literally we would pack him up, help, you know, help him back up the stairs into the, the vehicle, drive him home, pick up his guitar, you know, load his gear out. It was really cool. It was really fun that he was at the very end there and just wanted to get on stage one more time. Now that's, that's a really wonderful story. I want to get back to the album and play another track. Uh, you've suggested Absolutely. we should play Klondike Beauty Queen, which is a great song because when I think about the way that you ended up in the Yukon and then Ailey finding his way there and quite clearly, you know, finding his people, finding his community, it's a, it's a great song that talks about that. He came back after a trip to Dawson City. And if anyone knows Dawson City, there's just a, an endless amount of colorful characters and cast that live there. And this was an experience he had driving around in a limousine with the owner of the Westminster Hotel, while uh, look going visiting old dredges and listening to um, vaudeville music while they were driving around and picking up different characters in this limo. Uh, this whole song is about being in a limo in Dawson City and having that experience, which is odd if you know the place to begin with. And uh, I remember him coming back from Dawson and saying, listen to this too. Hundreds Dutch masterpiece out on a brand's dig. The crazy woman's back again, lost. 
she just won't stay away Gonna be late for work today Oh well, it's boss as well Riding with an English and an Irish drunk And a Klondike beauty queen It's hard to believe I arrived a year ago With five dollars to my name And ate the tank of gas and old pickup truck With Baba as name But I got these old guitars That's how I make my way This road sure got some twists and turns Sure glad I came this way My life is full of crazy people Beautiful and deranged Gonna stick around a while long Gonna see where this road leads Playing at a place called the pit Where time is raised The circus never stops here Once you get a taste Swirling round in drunken dervish Here we go again If I Sally Sparks with Klondike Beauty Queen from his 2003 album Beautiful and Deranged. Sadly, that was Ailey Sparks' only full-length album. A fabulous record. It was actually nominated for a 2004 Western Canadian Music Award. The good news about that album, though, is it's now available again. You can get it on Bandcamp and 100% of the proceeds from the sales of Beautiful and deranged will go to Ailey's children. Gordy Tentries is our special guest on the show today, chatting about the influence that Ailey had on his own his own career. And also introducing us to an artist that I think we all need to learn a lot more about. So I'm so excited that Gordy is able to spend the time to talk to us today. And and Gordy, you know, one of the, the things I love about Ailey is is the amazing stories that came out about the way he played and the way he lived his life. You know, one of the things I was reading about, Steve Cardiff, who was in the Yukon legislature, actually rose in the legislature to talk about the influence that Ailey had on music after he arrived in the Yukon. And I wanted to give you just a chance to talk about the live side of of Ailey, exactly what sort of show you were going to get. Can you talk a little bit about that? 
Absolutely. You know, he affected everybody and didn't matter what social economic background you came from. It didn't matter if you were working as a, a, a rising politician or a homeless person. You knew who he was and you had a relationship with him. And that's just what he was about. I remember going to see him play on a, a Thursday night and I noticed him being heckled by a table in the corner of the room and he was laughing and I stopped to, you know, when I walked in the door and, and uh, to take this in and I remember one of the uh, characters from the table throwing um, a pair of socks that was um, bundled up, one sock rolled into the other to the stage and throwing it at him and him playfully laughing and saying, hey, hey, wait till, wait till, uh, you know, a certain song. And then he would cue up this table that would all uh, take off her socks and throw them at him uh, in the middle of a solo. Anyways, he had <laughs> he this sort of this thing sort of sort of taken off, and and uh, I remember going over to his place once and him making a joke and saying, "Hey, before you leave, do you need some socks?" And opening a, a two drawer, two bottom drawers of a dresser, and they're just stuffed with wool socks, different colored socks, and people were actually making socks, uh, knitting socks, and then throwing them, throwing them towards them on stage. It never, it never seemed to end. He had that kind of relationship where it was people would go and support him, and through that, they wanted that exchange, you know? And he was very open, you know, minded. He would show up at the blues bar wearing uh, a dress or a purple sarong. He had this really fun, amazing purple sarong with a pair of mucklucks. And I remember the owners saying, you know, someone's got to talk to him about this outfit. And um, everybody would say, well, it's Ailey. He can, you know, wear whatever he wants because we're all, we're going to pack your venue and we're going to dance our pants off because it's, he's wearing a purple dress. So he had, <laughs> or it's wrong, he had this, you know, un, unabashed, unlimited joy for playing music. And it didn't matter what kind of person, whether you were, a far-right uh, conservative person. You just couldn't help yourself. Yeah, it was, sounds like he was an amazing character. I always wonder where, where, where would his career have gone if, you know, if, you know, he had sadly not had his life taken short. Well, I got a, it's, uh, it's funny you mentioned that. I got a, a call about, about a year and a half after he had passed, and it was a fellow that was, uh, I believe it was the manager of Tricontinental. Bill Bourne and Lester Quitsaw and Madagascar Slim at the time. And he was trying to locate Ailey because he wanted Ailey to fill in for Lester uh, Quitsaw, who was uh, taking a leave from the band to go and play with May Moore, who had become his partner at the time. Ailey had actually run into Lester about 20 years earlier in the Nelson area and had played with Lester and swapped ideas about slide guitar together. So I think Lester had recommended Ailey as a replacement with Billboard and Madagascar Slim. And as you know, I'm going to take, take some time off to do my stuff with, my, with May Moore. And I got a guy that can step right in and, and uh, take this where it needs to go. And so they were calling for him. And they couldn't find anyone that knew where to, to get a hold of him. So when I got the call, it eventually found itself to me. I thought, oh, man, he had just been over the moon to get that opportunity. And I, I had no doubt that he would have been able to step in there and take them in places that, that that trio needed to go or wanted to go. But also he would have been much in demand as far as uh, a session musician and a touring musician as well as doing his own thing. And that's what he did here in the Yukon. He supported musicians on records, live shows. He also would have this weekly gig in the old folks' home playing lap steel 
with a couple that played dulcimer and a guitar, this old folk trio. And he would just show up and uh, play for the seniors on Thursday as well. You know, it sounds like a an amazing, amazing artist. I think there was actually a, a documentary that was filmed that I think features yourself and Michael Miller as well as Haley. Is that right? We kind of had a strong run for about two years on the Discovery Channel and Bravo. And it was put together by um, a filmmaker out of Toronto named Alan Black, who wanted to know why people from other parts of Canada moved to the Yukon and do a little story about it. And all three of us had done that. And when he started the documentary, he wasn't aware of Ailey's condition. And then when he finally came to film it, he realized that Ailey was very shortly going to be passing. And Ailey still agreed to do the documentary uh, at the very end of his his time. And so you really get a great glimpse of him talking about uh, all these things that I'm talking about or I'm trying to talk about today. I've been doing some digging. Uh, I started this project basically sort of re-releasing this album basically because it's been one of my favorite top five records I've listened to for a long time. And as well as a couple other people that have have the record. And so they're running copies and asking me, where can I get this? Where can I get this? I'm, I've got down to my last copy. I'm freaking out. And I realized, man, this has got to get out there. Like, this record is so good still, and it will always be so good. So that's how this came together right now. And other people right now are digging up live footage, photos, still photos, trying to find some video. Hopefully this Bandcamp site turns into a bit of a legacy site where you can learn and go and read about them. Hopefully people like Jan Hall write reviews about them, tell us their thoughts. He never had that. He never had his music reviewed. He hardly have a play. He hardly had this record played. He just never saw the light of day. So along with you talking about him today, Jan, there's going to be um, a push November second. There'll be a publicist releasing this record uh, nationally and internationally to get those reviews and get that airplay that I really uh, think that he so much deserved to have. You know, I'm thinking there needs to be another documentary as well. I mean, it. You know, when I was doing my own searching online today. And over the, the past few days, and I thought, you know, it would just be so cool to, I certainly want to, you know, I'd love it if we could find the Alan Black documentary of the three of you, you know, the uh, the Song of the Yukon, I think <clears> it's called. Well, that, I can tell you right now that you've inspired me to go and contact Alan and say, Alan, let's get that thing up on. Uh, yeah, because I, I definitely somewhere. would promote it myself, but it would be, you know, the, the, it's, it, I think we live in such a fast paced world these days, you know, that, I mean, it's. You know, it blows me away how much music I get. But when you find out about an album like this that, you know, that came out a while ago that you're not thinking about because you're only thinking about what's new and you hear something like this, it's like, wow, it just really is. Wow. The record is incredible, but I've been getting live footage from festivals, uh, Folk on the Rocks and Dawson City Music Festival, as well as some venues up here in Western Canada from different sound men and musicians and, that have played with him for years. Uh, they're sending me different clips of stuff. It's been really neat to listen to him uh, talking to the audience again and doing what he used to do so well. And I'm listening to this record and thinking, "Oh my God, I'm gonna put, I'm gonna be part of. I get to be part of a group of guys that are gonna put this, put this thing out, um, which may come out in the spring." It's a thrill. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I'd actually like to encourage you to see if we can. You know, it would be kind of cool to raise some funds to actually build a. I think we probably need an Ailey Sparks website with all of these resources on it, because I would certainly love that and definitely well, would promote it. I think right now I've just been focusing on 
getting it out there and making it available digitally because it was never available digitally. It had, we've got a limited amount of copies. We're going to sell them from his Bandcamp site and the proceeds are going to go to his two kids, which I think is so great because, you know, he was doing all these gigs and he was thinking about how he was going to send money to his kids, how he was going to be able to afford to be, you know, to do this, be a musician and contribute to, to his story great to get these records out there and raise some money for his kids it's a, it's a thrill to be able to do that they're very lovely and they love their dad and it's going to be wonderful that they have uh his music's getting out there and people are, other people are going to get to hear it too well i'm so pleased that you know you have taken this project on because it is a great album and it certainly deserves to be heard as widely as possible we're going to squeeze one more track from alien we're going to play dawson city which you mentioned i think that was a a place that was very dear to his heart and a place where he loved to play. Uh, tell us about this song. This is a reflection, a really great reflection of being a local Yukon inhabitant and reflecting upon the, the touristy thing that happens here where people come up and they grab a piece of the Klondike and they want a piece of gold and they want to have pet a grizzly bear and do all these things. And, uh, him it's it really is feels like he's watching this whole thing go on like we all do up here and uh it really relates to anyone that's lived in any sort of area where they share their community with tourists and then they come and go and and uh they have that experience and it's really all about that it's a great song ellie sparks with dawson city on folk roots radio City, watch a river flow. Sun is shining, warm wind is blowing. There ain't nowhere I'd rather be. Life is grand once again. Well, has it always been? Just don't know, but it goes to show the times that show can change. I'm living the life, I'm living the life 
That's Ellie Sparks with Dawson City from his 2003 album entitled Beautiful and Deranged. An album that is back in print. Gordy Tentries is our special guest on Folk Roots Radio today. The album is available on Bandcamp and all of the proceeds from its sale will go to support Ailey's Kids. It is truly a fantastic record and I know if you've been listening to the rest of this interview, you know how passionate Gordy is about getting the music back out there so the world gets to hear a little bit more from Ailey Sparks, even though sadly he's no longer with us after passing away with cancer in 2005. Gordy, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. I would be remiss, though, if I didn't give you a chance just to talk about what you've been up to, because I know you released uh, Grit with Jackson Haldane in 2018, and then Less Is More was your last solo album from 2015. Uh, when are we going to hear new music from Gordy Tentries? Uh, I have a new record that's coming out in 2021. It's called Every Child. It's um, definitely my strongest contribution to recording, without a doubt, that I've ever done. I'm really excited to get it out there and uh, we're just assembling a team of people to do that and uh, it's taken on a life of its own and that's going to be a whole other journey that uh, I'm really looking forward to, to, to getting on. And I think these are songs that, that you've written and haven't recorded or you actually have already recorded them? Well, they're all new songs. I actually wrote 40, uh, well over 40 songs for this uh, since I made our last studio record and this is a 10 track record. And then they're all new songs. That's exciting. I look forward to hearing about that. And obviously, you know, we are in these strange COVID times. Uh, I'm certainly looking forward to seeing you on tour again. I know that's something that uh, you love to do as much as though I I know you love to be home in the Yukon as well. But you do like to get out on the road. Um, Plans for 2021 as well? Yeah, all my plans for 2020 got moved to 2021 and 2022. Uh, ironically, uh, this was a big year for me. I had eight tours planned and 150 shows from Australia to New Zealand to Europe and three tours of the U.S. and some Canadian dates in between. It couldn't have been a worse time for me to be hit with a, a pandemic. Also, on the other hand, uh, my kids are loving it. They've seen more of Dad than they've seen in a long time. Um, we almost didn't make this interview because I was caught between a, a cat puzzle and a dollhouse. And that's a that's not a bad problem to have, you know? No, absolutely not. It's been an absolute pleasure to spend time with you today. We're going to finish with one of your songs. And it's a song that I think is an important as a tribute to, to Ailey. It's entitled Bottleneck to Wire, the title track from your 2008 album. Tell us a little bit about it. Uh, it's inspired by him. And it's for him. It's to make you uh, think of him. And that's... Uh, that's really what it's about, and uh, I really hope you enjoy it. And that's all we can squeeze into this hour of Folk Roots Radio. You can visit our website at folkrootsradio.com to check out our extensive archive of interviews and radio episodes. And thanks again to all of our radio partners who help us bring Folk Roots Radio to you each week. This is Gordy Tentries with his tribute to Ailey Sparks, Bottleneck to Wire. And Gordy... Thanks again for spending the time with us today. Oh, Jan, it's a pleasure. Thank you. You're listening to Folk Roots Radio, and I'm Jan Hall. We'll see you next time.
sounds in our town You can hear no longer They came in from the south Made the cold a little warmer From the dampening hands of a little man They put a bottleneck to wire It's a sound I wish I could hear longer It's a sound I wish I could hear longer It's a sound I wish I could hear longer Like everyone who comes here is always a story With a little dirty pasture filled in all glory Underneath the guitar sound it found a home Danced a happy boy steeped in endless tone Then he backed up every songster lit the tattoo could have been all dirty blues thrown in gospel water But that's not all he had to offer He was a good man, he loved his son and daughter Some sounds in our town you can South made the cold a little warmer from the dampening hands of a little man who put a bottleneck to wire. It's a sound I wish I could hear longer. It's a sound I wish I could hear longer. like this there are wicked ways to go you can freeze to death half a mile out of town take your last breath in the snow he got one more chance to love inside his soul from an east coast girl who gave more than she knows some sound Dampening hands of a little man who put a bottleneck to wire. It's a sound I wish I could hear longer. It's a sound.